we are in what I think is one of the most evidential books dealing with what's going to happen just before Christ comes back, when He comes back, and right after He comes back, on into the kingdom age of that golden age that they always look to. So uh, this is just a tremendous chapter. It's one of my favorite. And of course, I have a favorite chapter every time where we're at, wherever you're studying. It's always your favorite chapter. <laughs> you probably heard me say that about a thousand times. On or at least a thousand chapters, I've said favorite. But uh, it is. It, it's real exciting. And um, we covered a few verses last week. I think uh, maybe close to at least five verses, if not a little bit more. And uh, handed out your outline there, the king and his kingdom. But just before we get there, cover uh, just a little bit where we were at. Oh, we have uh, new ones? Yeah, we do. Because oh. Tony was going to be lost. Do you have he, he wasn't here yes. last week. Okay. I don't. Well, I don't have one either. Penny didn't get them. We was shortchanged. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's got an outline, and so <laughs> Tony handed them out. That's why. Uh-huh. I don't know if we have an extra one. Who's making your coffee? Well, okay. Chapter fourteen. You know, behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. What's going on there? Are the nations? It says in verse two are coming up against Jerusalem. They actually, just before they totally demolish Jerusalem, that's what they think they're going to do. They come in, they start divvying up the spoils. Like they're the victors that conquers before it is really done. And so God is going like this. (laughs) Just wait, right? And so He waits to that very time that they're there thinking that they have victory and of course the houses plundered the women are raped half the city is exiled but there are some people that are going to be able to get away and these are what would be the Lord's chosen ones so whenever they see him they're going to look on him whom they pierced they're going to repent God is going to make a way for them to get out of that city as they go towards Jerusalem, and he'll mention this earthquake here in a moment. So he says um, in verse 4, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in the front of Jerusalem, on the east, and will be split in its middle from east to west. So what you have here is a, a, a total land change. And of course, that's what... Uh, earthquakes will do. This is what Christ does as he as he comes back, uh, and what a tremendous statement that is. I mean, we're talking about a worldwide cataclysm here, uh, supernatural cataclysm. As Jesus' feet hit the Mount of Olives, uh, he's coming in just uh, worldwide power, and uh, we know that people will know that he arrives. And uh, of course, we know that uh, we'll touch on it. Uh, a little bit later, but uh, he will have uh, the host of angels with him and also his people with him. So Christ hits the Mount of Olives and there's a valley that's created. This is a, quite a phenomenon, I believe. Um, and you have this valley, Kidron. Kidron Valley, it's between the Mount of 
olives and Jerusalem. You have that. And you have this way that God is making for people to get out of the city as some of them, uh, other half of them are exiled. But you have a channel of escape and it's a flat valley going straight out to the east. Uh, if you went to Joel chapter 3, you get something that's very comparable to what is going on here. It's the very time of Christ's return. You know, I, I think about this a lot. Uh, to actually get the detail that you get near the, you know, right at the time that Christ is coming back, uh, people make a lot of speculations and such. But when you just use the Word of God and, and you just look at what what He's saying here, is that here's what's going to happen at, at the end. Here's what's going to happen whenever Christ comes back. So in Joel 3, verse 14, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon grow dark, the stars lose their brightness, this is where you're going to have a total black backdrop to the glory of Christ coming back. The moonlight, the sunlight, uh, stars, whatever, that light is out. It's Christ now in His glory. So the Lord roars from Zion, that's Jerusalem, utters His voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth tremble. But the Lord is a refuge for His people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. Dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, so Jerusalem will be holy, and strangers will pass through it no more. So, there is the very time that he's coming up. If you back up in verse 12, there was a valley of decision, right? Verse 12, let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. They are aroused, alright. They are... They're getting ready to take the spoils. Deviating up right there. That's when the very moment Christ comes back. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. And he says, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come tread for the winepress is full. The vats overflow for their wickedness is great. So that's talking about the judgment upon uh, all the unbelievers and uh, there's where he's talking about the very day of the Lord. And, and of course, that's where we've kind of arrived at here. What we were talking about kind of left off last week. There's, there's some kind of devastation that occurs to the armies of the world. They attempt to pursue Israel, just like Pharaoh's army did. And God acts in mighty judgment. And so there was one mountain, you know, the Mount of Olives, which is not very high or anything, but... And no valley. And what God does is makes a valley and two mountains by splitting it. He formed it by splitting uh, Mount of Olives. His valley, his mountains. And they'll flee through this channel. And um, so uh, Christ comes back. As it says in Zechariah, there is the earthquake, the splitting. Rather incredible thing that's happening. Uh, in the uh, five, you will flee by the valley of my mountains. It takes one mount, and now they're mountains, the plural. For the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Azel means near. And don't know for sure, but a lot of people say the location is very near to Israel or to Jerusalem on the east. 
It's near for the people to flee and get out of there. Uh, and there was a, an area known as Azal around there. It's, it's going to split wide open right near the city. So you don't have to run a long way. You just escape. Because this is where God is going to um, do the sheep and the goat judgment. He's going to protect his own. And um, he mentions, you'll flee back to verse 5, you'll flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. And so there he's speaking about um, an earthquake in the days of Uzziah, which if you were to go to, well, let's say, I think Amos 1, one Amos is a little hard to find sometimes. It's in the Minor Prophet section. What's your page number? 12.50. It's after Joel. If you can find Joel, which is where we were at. Hosea, Joel, Amos, right? And it says in verse 1, The words of Amos, who was among the sheepherders from Tekoa, which he envisioned in visions concerning Israel... In the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam. So there, Amos is talking about the days of Uzziah, who was a, a good king of Israel, of Judah. And um, there he is mentioned. There, that was Amos 1.1. One, one. So there's the days of Uzziah. You know, you know, of course, it's talking about this earthquake in the days of Uzziah. We don't really get a lot of information on this, but in Second Chronicles, evidently the people knew what he was talking about, but there are some couple scriptures that kind of deal with it in a little bit, just in passing. And here's a little bit about Uzziah here. Um, and this was Uzziah's, kind of his undoing here, uh, and why God had to uh, judge him as a king who actually was was a good king. Um, he'd acted corruptly. He entered the temple of the Lord. He was burning incense in the altar of incense. Um, he did the duties of a priest. And this would be in the in the days of Uzziah here, and uh, of course the priest opposed Uzziah and says it's not for you Uzziah to burden sins to the Lord, and he was to get out of that sanctuary, and but he actually, in verse 19, with a censer in his hand for burning incense was enraged, and while he was enraged with the priest, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. Yeah, he got leprosy out of this. And God did it immediately on him. And verse 21 says he was a leper to the day of his death. He lived in a separate house, being a leper. He was cut off from the house of the Lord. And uh, anyway, the, you know, there's Uzziah. Even though he's a good king. Matter of fact, Isaiah, uh, if you, you remember, is, uh, mentions that. You know. So the, we see that uh, he was a king, that he existed. There was uh, an earthquake that had happened there and uh, made the people never ever really forget that. And it says, now we go back to Zechariah, just 
proven that there was a Uzziah. And there was that earthquake then. He compares it to there, just like people had fled in that time. And then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with Him. I just want to reflect on that just for a moment. We know He's coming back. The saints are coming back with Him. We know the angels are. So let's look at a few Scripture that deals with that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. Because I really can kind of get stuck on that one. I like that one. We're actually coming back in His glory. 3.13 There, it's a kind of a prayer for the people. And it says in verse 13 that Christ would establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. So when He comes back at this time that we see in Zechariah, and Zechariah says it, here Paul says it in Thessalonians, that He's coming back with all His saints. Let's look in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. Now these would be people who died in Christ and have gone <clears throat> to be with Him. And of course He resurrects. They are glorified. And they come back with Him in glory. Colossians 3.4 <clears throat> Can I <clears throat> clear my throat? When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, that means to be seen, un unveiled, right? Revealed, revelation. That's what it means. It means the uh, to be unveiled. Then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. We will be unveiled also with Christ, appearing, appearing with Him in that grand, glorious scene. What an awesome thing. Okay, go to Jude 14. Just before Revelation. <coughs> it was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied. He was saying it. You know, here's what's going to happen at the end time, really. Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones to do what? Execute judgment upon all. Convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. I'll bet that's the first all of one verse. Isn't that something? Guess who God is going to judge? The ungodly. I think Enoch, all he had to do was just say one verse. And he was saying a lot. Most people don't believe, believe that. Most people don't want to hear about it. They say that you know all people are going to go to heaven. We heard that, right? Except for the ungodly. <laughs> but... <laughs> In case they are ungodly themselves, they might want to clear that out, right? Uh, then, of course, Revelation chapter 19. Have to do that one, don't we? 
and the armies which are in heaven, Revelation 19, 14, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, means they have been totally cleansed, all the sin has gone, it's out, or following him on white horses. How could you put that in a video? How could you even paint that? I've seen paintings, kind of interesting, but this glory that is going to be happening at that time, there's no way you could ever you know, really put it white, as an image. White on white on white is kind of hard to see. I'm sorry. Right. Just, with just cloud. <laughs> cloud. That's the same it's coming back. Yeah. That, there's one of my, I can see like Jesus' head above this cloud because that's really all you got. You know? Well, Penny, you paint. Have you tried you this go. scene yet? There you go. <laughs> no. You're just going to take a white camera. I've seen, you know, and it's, it's kind of pretty, but you don't want to touch it. Yeah. yeah. It's, not gonna, it's not like that. It's about the best we can do as humans <laughs> to put that out. But can you imagine yeah. standing here on the ground and looking up and seeing this scene? And this is why I think a lot of people have trouble with future things but because they can't imagine this happening. But all the stuff in the Old Testament, people don't have any trouble believing. All the, you know, the miracles and, and such. But when it comes, oh no, I, that couldn't happen. That's that's just a little unreal. Well, you know, you were saying before, <coughs> something, like when they talk about the end times, they talk about the armies riding across the river that isn't, you know, the river separated, riding across on their horses. Really? When they have tanks and airplanes and they're going to use horses. So a lot of people, when, when I've tried to talk to them, and I don't know what to say, to be honest with you. I, I don't know what to say because I take it literally. I'm thinking, must be something with technology doesn't work or something. They're back to horses. I was I thinking <laughs> that this morning because have you noticed the more that technology comes out, the more hackers there are yeah. and they can get into everything can you imagine if our if our computers here as far as government and in the military if they were hacked what about every army's right every army in the now, world is hacked now, uh, all the guns and everything all, runs on that right all the tanks and all the airplanes and you know, if that's shut down, what are you going to do? Back in the 80s, whenever I was reading that, I was saying, well, that's probably tanks and probably, right, right, and right. it could be, but, because they did, how does the writer say, well, they're going to be tanks and all the kind of military words that we use today. See, I'm not erasing right. that out, but I'm right. saying, wouldn't it be interesting that if it goes back to the times that the way that they fought then? Because why would they come in one area when you can sit there and blow everybody away right, sitting in your in your White House or whatever? But they're literally going to be there. I was listening to a preacher yesterday and he was talking about end times and he was talking about how the United States is not mentioned in anything but Russia is and Iran and yep. Israel and everything. And he said there were, he had three theories that I heard that, too. That? Yeah. yeah, It's pretty good. And I was, it really made you think, though. I mean, either the United States just gave up, could have been bombed or whatever, but his last one was kind of the best scenario. 
Everybody that actually became Christians and came to God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a nice thought. <laughs> thinking, see, that would probably wipe out a lot of the technology if they dropped a bomb on the United States, wiped us out so that we're out of the picture, and then well, that's what you said. Know, the, the, the fallout really from a bomb would take care of a lot of the technology. Talk about the electronic pulse. Yes. To take out everything, cars. Yep. Right. You betcha. The whole grid, everything that's what goes. I'm Look at all the, the cars that drive down by themselves. And stuff so, like that. That's so could it be that it goes back to the way that they always fought up until the last, what, 100 years? Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't have this stuff until, what, World War One, and, and so they did. That's what they fought with, with horses and... Even World War One and Two had the Calvary. That's right, they did, didn't they? <laughs> yes. Always been, you know. Yep. So, you know, who knows? I, you know, I tend to think if uh, it wouldn't take much to wipe a lot of technology out as quick as it has come in, it could go. Well, you're talking about the earthquakes and stuff. You know, all of right. our data banks at the bottom of the oceans and stuff like that, and they had trouble with that. We had the oh yeah, if you take that out, yeah. it was a major tsunami came through. And it pinched because it's all being ran through the same kind of alleyways to the bottom of the ocean. Is where our technology in China, that's where it's all coming out of. So, yeah, a little disaster takes knocks that stuff out. Well, kind of interesting. You know, we, we kind of speculate, but I think we're using a little bit of common sense here. Here's a here's possibilities. But uh, yeah, uh, what happens to America? We are not. We are a superpower, or have been. But it wouldn't take very much at all for us, and we can see it. And we've sunk in a lot of ways, and of course, uh, financially, we could be taken out too so quick, but morally, that's the worst part of it. We have no morals. That, doesn't support that, that is sad. Okay, let's, so. not, let's not use the word. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, then. We, we, some of us, we have. And unfortunately, we're linked to this nation. <laughs> I need to suffer with the, what the we did. Well, they there were telling you, yeah. how, many, how many of the superpowers fell, too. I mean, did you hear all of it? Yeah. And they were saying, unlike Rome, and, and how many years it's been, and how many, how many years that we've actually been, so that. We've gone longer than what yes. Babylon did. Right. The, uh, what, the Medes and the Persians? And, I think Rome went what? Uh, how many centuries? Six, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah. So, and we've been around a little over two hundred years. That's pretty good. That's so, really good. Something happened. Certainly could. We know that. Take us long to go from Christian nation to what we are today. Yep. Hundred years is not a lot of time. Yeah. That's right. Wow. It seems like you get to thinking about it. We weren't that that many generations from George Washington when you really think about it. In a hundred years, how many generations can you have there? You know. So anyway, um, we go back to Zechariah, verse six. In that day, there will be no light; luminaries will dwindle. We just read that in Joel. Oh, it's it's in, in so many different passages: Isaiah thirteen and Joel three, Matthew twenty four, Revelation six. Uh, there will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But it will come about that at evening time there will be light. So it's not like anything you can compare it to. You have the light of the world coming to this world. It, you know, it's not dark. It's not really light in the way that we have normally seen it. 
Um, but at evening time, there will, there will be light. Uh, Isaiah 13, verse 9, I, I think it, it talks about there about the lights, uh, you know, whether it be in the, you know, the moon or the stars or the sun. Was it Isaiah 13, verse 9? Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation, and He will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Then I will punish the world for its evil. When is this? When is it? I propose that's in the future. Even our future. It was in the future for Isaiah here, but this can always be taken in a spiritual way. And they say, well, that was at the time when Babylon came. You know, or some other way, or or they not even historically. It's like the lights in a, in people's lives are out, and we need the light of Jesus Christ coming into our hearts. But that is not doing justice to God's word. If we do that all the way through the Scripture, we're no better than what the Catholics do with Scripture, or anybody else that takes everything, whatever way that it seems spiritual, or in a way that you interpret it. So if we if we take the literal out, and, and obviously there are uh, places where we can't take a wooden literal meaning, but there's always the, a basis there of what we're getting out of. Uh, Isaiah 13, verse 24. Uh, no, 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 no. No, there's no 24. I don't know how I got there. I might, have, I might have met Matthew 24. Jesus talks about uh, that too. So we're covering a lot of different eras here. Uh, Jesus is speaking about end times in the future. And a lot of these same things that he's talking about are happening uh, at the time of Zechariah's mentioning. Uh, Verse 29, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And... Some people take that all of Matthew 24 is dealing with 70 A.D. But this is when Christ actually comes back. And one of my favorite teachers of all time, R.C. Sproul, he wandered around on a lot of different things on prophecy and he'd go back and forth. So not trying to make light of him or make him look bad, but um, he believed that this was 70 A.D. And Christ came in a spiritual way. But what we're talking about is Christ literally coming back. Jesus is answering this, you know, the, the sign of the, the Son of Man. And here he, He's there and everybody's going to see Him come back. Did, did, did R.C. Sproul believe in a literal second coming? Absolutely. No doubt about it. But he had to go along with that all of 24 is 70 A.D., so that therefore is that too. And here he's talking about a great trumpet will be blown and he will gather his elect from the four winds one end of the sky to the other. Anyway, uh, not to rant on that. Revelation 6 talks about this. We're talking about in the midst of blackness, this blazing glory of Christ is coming to our world. And not like he was when he came as a baby. 
everybody's going to turn and look, and uh, the ones who are to believe will believe. Um, it's it won't be day, it won't be night. Uh, it's evening time, but you have light. Um, all that we understand as night and day is going to be ended at, at that point there. Uh, but the blazing glory is there. Then we'll go back to our Zechariah. Well, I'm not advancing much. <laughs> I was going to ask you, have you started on your outline? I haven't, started, I haven't gotten there yet. I sure haven't. I feel kind of bad. Well, we, had, we didn't, you know, in all fairness, we didn't finish last week. We kind of just touched on this. Yeah, we didn't even, we didn't even. I mean, you start. You picked up right where we left off last week, so we're good. We're good. Okay, verse 8. I know we didn't cover this. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. Half of them toward the eastern sea, the other half toward the western sea. It will be in summer as well as in winter. So it's like the seasons have changed. Night and day, everything is going to change. As Christ comes back to earth and He will show what will change in Jerusalem to, to details here. But you have living water. You know, right in the middle, uh, if you take Mount Moriah, that's where that golden dome of the rock is at. And you know, Muslims have their little temple there. Underneath that rock, it's like somehow God's going to crack open the ground in some way and create this gushing spring and he's going to send rivers running in both directions, east and west. <laughs> one towards the Dead Sea, just kind of to the east and south, and then one to the Great Sea or the Mediterranean Sea. And you have uh, just a, a great flowing amount of water and he will uh, talk about that a little bit further I'll come back to it if we can, or it might be next week. But in Ezekiel chapter 47, you have um, the same kind of thing happening that's coming out of where that temple area would have been. And you have this great flow of water. In the Hebrew there, this living water, it's talking about gurgling running water, flowing, bubbling water. Um, it's like life-giving streams here, gushing out of the sanctuary area, just gushing out. And, of course, when he splits that rock, Mariah, he's going to send it in both directions. <laughs> if I'll tell you what, let's go to Ezekiel. This is exciting. I was, I was reading this last night, and I know 40 through 40... Eight. Going? Ezekiel. Ezekiel 47. One. Chapters 40 through 48. Um, okay, let me just ask a little question here. Go ahead. Because I'm looking at a map here, and it says, it says, it says, half of them, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. Okay, but the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea are north and south. Not east and west. Yeah, but what you have there, it's east of it. I mean, the, the Dead Sea is east, still east. It would be southeast. But we're going out east, and of course it's it's eventually going to head on down there. Now, the Dead Sea, what do you have? You have dead water, right? He's going to bring life to what is the Dead Sea. 
the other sea is not the Sea of Galilee or the, the lake there. It's speaking about the big sea, the Mediterranean oh, the Sea. Mediterranean Sea. Yeah, oh, which is to okay. your oh, your west. Okay. So west, east, okay. and uh, bubbling water, life-giving streams. Now, look in Ezekiel 47. In Ezekiel 40 through 44, you get a lot of the things that's going to happen during the Millennial Kingdom. And it is something that has never happened ever in history. By the way, the measurements are given. It's a mile square, I think, is the temple. A mile square. A mile square. Huge. Huge. That whole area up there. Uh, and, and what he's going to do, and we see in Zechariah that he lifts Jerusalem up, and we'll read that in a few verses later, and everything else will be put down as a plain. And there is a sparkling jewel, like a diamond, Penny, you know, in, in a rocks. ring. She likes and that's quite a rock there. Okay, so Revelation makes it sound like the land masses are coming back together. So that there'll be all the land masses together, and then Jerusalem raised up as Jerusalem. So that would make it a little easier to understand how people in this land mass are going to see Jerusalem. <laughs> Who, yeah, what's what's the theory of what how the land mass broke away? Wasn't it the Great Flood? Mm-hmm. So wouldn't it be water exactly. to put it back together? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the earthquakes and the, and the water removed. And that's right. The that's this thing about the earth, I think, bothers people to say, well, I thought we were going to go to heaven. <laughs> well, we are. There, and there, there is the new Jerusalem, you know. And also, of course, there is the abode where God is at. And, of course, we'll, we'll have access to that, too. But we'll see that the Lord comes back and where does He come back? To the earth and He becomes king of the earth. And we'll see that in verse 9. What it is, whenever He created earth, it wasn't that it was bad or halfway done. It was perfect. It was good. What was the problem was the sin of man and the corrupt, it was the fallenness that happened there. And it's a fallen world. And if you take of what he had in mind in the first place, earth without any sin and everything is perfect here, which is what it's going to be. I mean, it's like a recreation here. Anyway, I'll get back to that Ezekiel 47. This is, that'll just be, it's just like there was Eden, that was a time frame, and then there was the flood and the period of time after that, which was a whole other time frame, and then there was the New Testament time frame, and the millennial kingdom will be just be another time frame. Right, just much glorious than what this is now. To be able to come into the kingdom. Right. I mean, not sinners coming into the kingdom. It is the fullest <laughs> revelation that God will possibly give before you have the eternal state. It's where Christ is living and reigning on earth, right. and there still will be rebellion of mankind. Right. I mean, we we've had the most revelation that mankind has ever had in our time period, where we're at now. The Bible. I mean, people carry it around on their phones. I mean, the, the information that we have. And yet, it seems like we are probably uh, very illiterate as far as the Bible is concerned. That's the hardest one for anybody to win on Jeopardy. I've 
It makes the, the ones who are very intelligent look like they're not very smart, right? right. On the they're Bible not, yeah, issue. They don't know. Isn't they're that something? Well With all the information it. there is. And they're not terribly ah. hard questions. <laughs> they're not very well rounded. And it's still the number one best selling book in the world. Okay, ready? Ezekiel 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the house. And behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house. This would be the, the house of God or the temple. Toward the east. That's what he's been saying all along up to this chapter. For the house faced east. The water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from south of the altar. He brought me out by the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate by way of the gate that faces east. And behold, water was trickling from the south side. So it's not really deep. It's just starting out as a little trickle. When the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits, telling me how far it went out. He led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. So now that stream is up to the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand, led me through the water, reaching the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the loins up to the waist now. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not ford, for the water had risen enough water to swim in, a river that could not be forded. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? <laughs> then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now when I returned, behold, on the bank of the river, there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then he said to me, These waters go out toward the eastern region and go down into the Arabah. They go toward the sea being made, to, oh, by the way, the eastern region, and they go down into the Arabah. And the Arabah goes on past that's a, a kind of a valley that goes on past even the Dead Sea. Okay? So the waters even go further past that. And then they go toward the sea, being made to flow into the sea. That's the Mediterranean to the west. And the waters of the sea become fresh. It will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live. And there will be very many fish. For these waters go there and the others become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. And it will come about that fishermen will stand beside it. From En Gedi, way down south in Israel, to Enaglam, there will be a place for the spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea, very many. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They'll be left for salt. Could be there are salt offerings that are used that is explained in, in uh, the chapters before where we were at. So there's a reason for salt. By the river on its bank on one side and on the other will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. That means... 365 days a year or well you don't even count days in a year <laughs> they will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing in Revelation speaks about even the tree of life is going to be there 
that was in the Garden of Eden, and He took that tree of life out, and you're going to have this tree of life on both sides of the river. How does that happen? All I can see is that you have this tree going over, completely over the river to the other side, and maybe there's part of that tree going up with its trunk, and a trunk on the other I don't know. But uh, you say, where's that at? I'm, I'm checking for it here. Um, Chapter 22 of the River of Life. Is it 22? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, verse, he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. Bond servants will serve Him. See His face, His name will be on their foreheads. There will no longer be any night. They will not have any need of the light of the Lamb, nor the light of the sun. Does this sound familiar? Because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Wow. Okay. We've heard of the desert will blossom like what? It's probably in Isaiah 35, I think. Like a rose. In Israel, if you go there, especially in the summertime, it is dry. It's like going to California. It's almost like going to Arizona. You know, there's no. It never rains in Southern California. <laughs> it's desert. It is. It's desert area. Tony, you you remember that when you were in San Diego? How many times did you see it rain? I guess it does occasionally. Did you see it once? once. Did it no, rain? I, <laughs> it happens. But it's dry. Yeah, it washes everything away. All the water they get, that's it, right? Well, Israel is a lot like California. You see Southern the California. There. The rivers are the rivers. They're, <laughs> They're nothing. Ones. What is it in LA where they have the, the big concrete, you know, they do yeah. a lot of films there? Yeah. And evidently that's for whenever it rains, like in January, it's filled up, right? It's for a river. It's a riverbed. And there's nothing there in the summertime. Yeah, that's right. And that's the way that Israel is. They have the Jordan River. And then throughout the rest of the land, I mean, you have that Dead Sea, you have the Sea of Galilee up here, you know, the lake. But they are not known for this kind of water that's coming there. So perennially, you know, flowing in two directions, summer or winter, throughout the kingdom, the desert is going to blossom. So quite an incredible change that happens. Now we go back to our Zechariah. And when is Ezekiel speaking about this? At this time that we're talking about here, that would be in that kingdom time. It sure isn't in the past. And so therefore, what does somebody do with that when you read it? And... I heard one of my favorite teachers, Derek Thomas, preach on that passage. They don't usually touch in, in that area, but he said, you know, when we're, we first become Christians, we, we're like, uh, we have water ankle deep. We see it. And then as we grow in the Lord, you know, it, you know, it gets up to our knees and then up to our waist. And he says, that's what that means. I'm going, that's not the way you usually treat Scripture whenever you do it. You exposit it and you explain how this, you know, correlates with other passages. 
It's, it's really good. I, I like the spiritual meaning. You know, there's a lot to it. But let's go on and let's. What is? Why is? Let's get the context. And of course, that's what I'm saying. These these guys are great teachers. I've learned thousands of things from them. And and yet it's like, why did you do that? Because it doesn't fit in their scheme. And so therefore, all of this stuff that we're saying really means nothing other uh, I, than just spiritual. I've said it before. I think I think God has allegories everywhere. Absolutely. Allegories everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's fine to say that sure. about growing as a sure. Christian, but don't leave out the other because the other's there. It's exactly. Well, like it's, they say, exactly. Scripture fairly. There's more passages that cover the same thing, cover the same thing, even if you're not quite sure. Those examples when we're talking about, when we're just talking about. Well, use an allegory thing. How okay? How how can this apply to us? And I don't have any problem with that. You know, but first. First, explain what the scripture is. There a physical meaning behind this? (laughs) We just can't write it off because it's well, it's not any time that's ever happened before. So could it be that it is in the future, and we don't know. Um, anyway, okay, going to the outline, we've got five minutes. And obviously, this is going to go another week. Is that okay? Okay. <laughs> Good. I'm not in too much trouble, right? Okay. I just like to think, oh, isn't this wonderful? We know a little bit about what's where we're going to be at. Matter of fact, these things are guaranteed because of the Word of God. Tomorrow, we pretty well know what we're going to do, but we're not for sure. We don't even know if we're going to be living tomorrow. We could die during the night. Christ could come back. You know, we don't know. Or, or you know, I think I'm going to be going to work. I do every morning, you know. But I might get sick. I may not be able to go to work. But this right here is absolutely guaranteed, <laughs> and we don't even know when it is, but we know it's going to happen. Because the Lord wrote it, you know, we're going to be living in a place where the king is at. And that's what he says in verse 9. This is great. And the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. The Lord will be the only one. And his name, the only one. So verse 9 really begins the crowning of the king here. This is what I call a coronation. You know, we've seen the coming of the day of the Lord, right? Now it's the crowning of the Lord as King. Even though he, were, he already is King, we know that. But as far as making it happen in a real time, a real way where people see that, not just a spiritual kingdom, but it's He's ruling and reigning here on earth. He'll be King over all the earth. This is the earth without sin. Or so it'll be taken care of. And when sin happens, it will be taken care of. But look in Psalm 2. I find this one a fascinating one. <coughs> Not that it necessarily has to fit in with where we're dealing with, but I have to wonder if maybe some of this does apply. This was a chapter I used for my Jewish inmates. Uh-huh. Familiar with this one. What do you do with this? <coughs> Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against His anointed. And they've done this all the the way through, haven't they? But I kind of see this 
This could be right at the end too, though. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then He'll speak to them in His anger and terrify them in His fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king. I've anointed him upon Zion, my holy mountain. Now some would interpret this, and very good apt scholars would say that was when Christ came to earth here. And, and I believe that. But I'm thinking, could this possibly be where He is being shown in the, 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 the fullness of it? Yeah. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that He not become angry, and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So, I think that's been throughout all generations. But I think it also has to include this in time that we think of here. You know, the ones who are taking refuge in Him. And uh, He's going to be king on earth. King de facto. That is, in fact, it's a promised reality. There will be one Lord and His name will be one. How many religions will there be there? One. How many kingdoms? One. Right? How many uh, gods? He will rule with a rod of iron. Remember uh, Revelation 19.15? He rules with a rod of iron. So when Christ comes, you have this tremendous earthquake. It takes place. He creates this valley. And, of course, it goes all the way down to the Arabah. The Dead Sea is like 1,300 feet below sea level. This whole valley that's, that's coming down... Uh, from the way of the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is 650 feet below sea level. But you get down to the Dead Sea, it's 1,300. It's the lowest spot on the earth. And uh, so it's the lowest, longest, flattest valley that's going to be in the world. Um, it's lower than any valley ever. Only, you ever heard of, what was that show? Uh, the Big Valley. This is a big valley. All the terrain, if we go back to Zechariah, all the land will be changed into a plain from Geba, he's talking about north, to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. So what he's doing there, you have a tremendous earthquake taking place. He creates this valley running down. The Arab all the way down past the Dead Sea, and then he takes this city of Jerusalem, and it's like he sticks it up like a solitary diamond. It's going to literally flatten the whole earth all the way around. Then he's going to rebuild that city. And he gives dimensions here. Uh, Jerusalem will rise, remain outside from Benjamin's Gate. You know, you could take this, look in maps, and they, these are literal places. They were first gate to the corner gate, and from the Tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. That this is literal. It's just here's where it is. This this whole city. If you have any idea of what the city's about, he's saying to it, uh, he's going to give back this area to his people. 
It's not going to be some little village uh, like it was in Zechariah's time. Remember that? This is going to be huge. And of course, you go into Ezekiel and you find out the dimensions there of that whole area that's lifted up. <clears throat> Jerusalem ascends out of the out of the ground in a sense, I guess, a flat plateau, and there's a throne of Christ there. And I mean, that's going to be some kind of day. The whole land in that area, Jerusalem, is just lifted up. Jerusalem will be lifted up. And then it says, and this is the last one we'll go to here, people will live in it, and there will no longer be a curse for Jerusalem will dwell in security. People are, are just going, are going to be living in Jerusalem, but they're also going to be living outside in the, you know, the countryside, all around there. And in Zechariah 2, chapter 2, verse 4, Ron, speak to that young man saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. Where are you? That was Zechariah chapter 2, verse 4. <clears throat> so, you know, people are going to be living in it. Uh, uh, no need for walls. There won't be any enemies there. Uh, Jerusalem will be like a, like a crown. And so we did the crowning of the Lord as King. And a little bit of uh, what's going to happen to the, the land. I don't. We don't find that hard to believe, do we? That's how much uh, some of the stuff that's going to happen. And we just took a glimpse into the future. And it's like, how many things do you know about the future? Nothing that the world tells you. But whatever God gives us here, we are absolutely sure, more sure than our own time that we're living in. I think it's incredible to get this detail. So next time we'll get the conquest and the, of the nations and the character of the uh, kingdom. So, I don't think it's too difficult. What do you guys think? This is where this has finally taken us as we've studied uh, Zechariah. With all the visions and everything, they were all pointing to this point. And now we get it just like it's like a flower that's budding, and you see a little bit of color there, but you don't see the whole flower. And then Zechariah 14, out comes the flower. And you know, I think we have this one tree that's the magnolia that blossoms those flowers. And really, ever since we've lived there, <laughs> you know what it does? It flowers, and the next day it goes below freezing. <laughs> And it turns black, and I gotta clean all those leaves up, and I didn't even really get to see the flowers. One day, or I take a picture of it, and say, "Guess what? It's gonna be freezing tonight." You guys have probably seen that. I said, "Okay, here's what I'm gonna look at is for one moment." Yeah, about three hours in one day. At the end of the day, the sun's out of it. It's coming to kill it. That Guess night. what I saw yesterday? A little bit of pink coming out. I'm gonna please go back in there because we've got freezing. Below temperature oh, or below freezing temperatures in the weekend. Turning all yellow, and my daffodils are blooming. You're okay with those. Yeah. Those are okay. Yeah. They'll make Presidia it. Bush, yeah. yeah. The magnolia, it's a southern plant. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't it come out after April 15th? See, mine does. It comes out later. If it can do that, mm -hmm. then it, it can yeah, stay out a long we're not, time. We're not anywhere near a flower yet. We're just fuzzy little yeah. things. That's now. good. Yeah. Keep it that way. <laughs> 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 right up where it's at, 
It's cold right there. Yeah. It's that's like that's good. Because See where ours is at? Gets the mm-hmm. sun. Always It's the east sun in the morning, <clears throat> but sitting on the north, and it gets the south sun in the evening. As, and it's it goes, goes around, so, so it gets it, and it's way up there, so it just gets it. I remember it how pretty it was first year, though.